you smell what the rock is cooking? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, back for you once again with another great episode with some major content. That's right. In addition, ladies and gentlemen, to the quick hits, the highlight reel, and the low light reel, we are going to have a backlash review, and we will also look at the participants for the upcoming WWE World Heavyweight Title Tournament, which starts this Monday night on Raw. Now, you may be listening to this after Monday Night Raw airs, so please bear with me. But we will go ahead and take a look at those participants as well. And I will let you know who I think the odds are in favorite are uh, to possibly become the World Heavyweight Champion uh, once that tournament has uh, finally ended at the end of Night of Champions in uh, Saudi Arabia. So I want to thank you guys as always for joining me. And there's no reason to hold us back. Go ahead and strap in, buckle up, crack open your favorite frosty beverage. And get ready as I spew my venom, my hate, and my love for the world of professional wrestling. Moving into quickly the quick hits. That's right. And number one, Carmella and Corey Graves are pregnant, ladies and gentlemen. That is right. The announcer and the former WWE Women's Champion and Women's Tag Team Champions, Carmella, and her husband, Corey Graves, are expecting their first child. Now, this is some happy news because Carmella and Corey have tried a couple of times and they did have a couple of miscarriages and problems. Uh, So it is very sad when you hear about things like that in the world, whether they be a professional wrestler, an actor, or even just somebody normal. It doesn't matter. You know, got to be a celebrity in order to hear something bad like that and feel bad for them. To hear, though, that they are expecting their first child, everything is going well and things are healthy is an incredible miracle. Uh, I wish them the absolute best as they continue to grow their family. Corey has three children of his own, and Carmella is uh, doing her best to play friend and mom to those kids, but I'm sure adding her own child to the mix with Corey will make them a wonderful nuclear family. So congratulations to those two great people. Number two, Naomi shoots on why she left the WWE. Um, She didn't just do it during her Impact debut, no. She appeared on a radio slash podcast station and talked about her time in WWE and why she left. She said that she was no longer happy. She felt that she was being underutilized and that things weren't going her way. And had the timing not been right, she probably would have stayed there and continued to be miserable. But all of the stars lined up, as she said, and no. You know, she walked out, held out to the rest of her contract, finally uh, ended, and now she is in Impact Wrestling. She also mentioned that she went to Impact because of how deep the history of the women's division there is. Here's where I poke holes in all of her story. Firstly, though, I will agree with her. Impact does have a great women's division history. Gail Kim, Awesome Kong, the beautiful people, Mickey James, Taylor Wilde, The list goes on and on. Rosemary, uh, you know, the voodoo queen, Roxy. There were a lot of great women to come and go from that women's division. But almost all of them have now found their way either to the WWE at one time or are currently on the WWE roster. So, yeah. 
But here's where I'll poke the holes in her story, ladies and gentlemen. She was miserable and felt she was being underutilized in the WWE. Um, she wasn't exactly still a Funkodactyl, okay? She was a former two-time women's champion and the current women's tag team champion at the time with Sasha Banks. So if she was being underutilized, then, my God, I must be uh, underutilized at work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I'm not being put to my full potential then. And then the bigger joke of it all is that her and Sasha were set to be in a fatal five-way match that night, which would make Sasha Banks the challenger for the SmackDown Women's Championship and make Naomi the number one contender and challenger for the Raw World Heavyweight Championship on the women's divisions. And that's just a joke for me because you're getting pushed. You're getting into great feuds. You're on TV every week, if not more than once a week, and then you're being underutilized. Um, and then, of course, the whole real BS of it all was that when the stars aligned and the timing was right, she felt it was time to leave or else she'd still be there miserable. Hmm. Could the stars aligning be that Sasha Banks talked her to walk out of the company? Could the timing being right that Sasha poisoned her mind slightly and told her, hey, we got to get out of here and go on to bigger and better things? Now, I'm not going to knock Impact Wrestling because I happen to like them, but Impact does not have a major television deal. Not all homes, like my home, get the channel that Impact comes on. And I end up watching Impact on the internet somewhere, either in an illegal stream or on a website that's streaming it legally, what have you, or through YouTube in, uh, you know, little highlight reels. So she's not exactly getting the exposure that she needs or wants in Impact. I doubt they're just going to throw the world, the women's world heavyweight title at her because Deanna Perrazzo just became the champion there. And she's a pretty damn good wrestler. And with other women who have been there, such as Rosemary and, you know, all these other women on the roster, Havoc, uh, and so on, I don't think Naomi's going to be thrusted to the women's world title anytime soon. So, Naomi, enjoy your success if you have any. And maybe next time, don't allow your friend to talk you to walk out of a company that's giving you everything you've asked for and then some. Number three, Chavo Guerrero apparently sent the WWE a cease and desist order for the Viva La Raza um, statement and, uh, you know, um, the uh, catchphrase uh, back when they were using it on Eddie Guerrero's merchandise. Um, he did this because he apparently owns the copyright to Viva La Raza. Now, shouldn't Conan be the one that um, owns the copyright to that? because he's the one that originally started saying it back in WCW. But no big deal. Um, furthermore, uh, Chavo went on to say that he doesn't mind the WWE using that statement at the beginning of the LWO's uh, entrance music, and he's allowing them to get one over on him with that one. I ultimately think that Chavo Guerrero is full of shit, and he is trying to get himself back into the spotlight. Uh, and the good spotlight, because the bad spotlight that he has is everything that's going on with Vicky Guerrero and her daughters and Chavo being involved in it. That's why he was fired from AEW. And he's hoping that people will remember him for something other than being a piece of shit. Um, 
but honestly and truthfully, he's just digging that hole a lot bigger than it needs to be uh, with constantly picking at Rey Mysterio in the WWE for, well, making Eddie Guerrero uh, continuing to grow his legacy and selling merchandise for Eddie, of Eddie, money going to Vicky Guerrero for that merchandise. Vicky has gone on record as to saying that's why she allows the WWE to still use Eddie's likeness in video games, in toys, um, in merchandising, allowing Dominic Mysterio to mention Eddie and the storyline from the past, allowing Ray to mention Eddie and storylines from the past, allowing other wrestlers like Sasha Banks and others who knew Eddie or he had a positive, uh, you know, upbringing in their life uh, as time went on in the wrestling business. So, yeah, Chavo, you really need to step out of the light. You really need to calm your, your, you know, your tits and go about your business in another way. The WWE does not want you back in the company. The WWE is not looking to rehire you anytime soon. And all you're doing is in making sure that when the time comes that they maybe think about you for the Hall of Fame, they go, no, this guy's too big of a pain in the ass. And finally, number four. Vice TV to declare bankruptcy in the next month or so. That's right. Vice TV is going on record as saying they've been trying to sell their company and television company because of waning uh, financial responsibilities in that they are not making the money that they once were when they first started the television station off. Um, and they have other investors, people who have thrown money at them, and they were hoping that one of those investors or possibly a shadow company would come out of nowhere and buy them up when they put themselves for sale a few months back. But no deal has been able to be struck. So basically what will happen is Vice TV will declare bankruptcy and then their parent company will go on to own the rest of what they have in their catalog and shows on the, cha on the channel and vice versa uh, and so on and so forth. Um, the thing that I find a little troublesome is I'm hoping that this does not affect the next season of Dark Side of the Ring, which is scheduled for the ending of May. I believe it is debuting May 31st on Vice TV. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I enjoy Dark Side of the Ring. You can say what you want about it painting Ric Flair in a bad light and, Tommy Dreamer being fired by the WWE because of it and being let go from Impact for a little while and, you know, all that other stuff and whatnot. But let's face it, those stories have been told for years and some snowflake just decided to get their panties in a bunch and uh, get really pissed off about them. So uh, I like Vice TV. I think they have a lot of incredible programming on there. And uh, I hope that either they get a sale or, um, you know, a prominent donation from somebody uh, who invests in them. And they can continue to move forward making the programming that I'm enjoying. So, with that being said, the quick hits are done. No time better than the present. Let's go ahead and get into the highlight reel. And starting off with Monday Night Raw, Paul Heyman's promo. Uh, after Triple H opened the show with the first round draft picks and talking about the new WWE World Heavyweight title. Paul was on fire, as usual. Paul Heyman knows how to go out there and deliver a promo. He does not need anybody coaching him or telling him what to say. And the fact that he fed into the internet uh, words that have been being said since the World Heavyweight title uh, was uh, shown on Raw 
the week before, uh, like saying things like, wouldn't that title look great on your tribal chief? Uh, and that it's a consolation prize, you know, everything that everybody online has been saying about the new world heavyweight title, Paul Heyman brought to light. And I just thought it was hysterical. Number two, uh, Ricochet and Braun Strowman versus Alpha Academy. Another great tag team outing by both these teams. All four guys did a fantastic job. And Ricochet and Braun Strowman have strictly, have actually become a really great tag team. And I, I like that it's just been the two of them uh, only in tag team wrestling, strictly as a tag team. They haven't been letting them do singles matches anymore. And look, if you ain't got something uh, for a guy in a singles career right now, maybe a tag team's the best place for them when you've got the unified world tag team champions, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Number three, Matt Riddle taking on Jimmy Uso. The the Riddle, Owens, Zane versus the Bloodline storyline has got a little overdone, but these two had a great one-on-one -on -one encounter, and I will definitely not say that they did anything wrong here. Fantastic job by both men. Uh, number four, the Judgment Day versus the LWO. I, I really like the way that they've gotten these mixed tags in and six-man tags with the women involved as well. Um, it was it was all around fun, and they showcased Zelina Vega and Rhea Ripley throughout the entire match. Number five, uh, Seth Rollins and Solo Sokoa. It ended in a DQ, but again, I, I can't fault them because they're trying to keep Solo strong. They're trying to you know keep him as a main eventer, and he did a fantastic job again. But they also didn't want to piss off the fans who think that Seth Rollins, like I do think that Seth Rollins is a main eventer as well and shouldn't be losing to someone like Solo either. So with the DQ finish, it keeps them both safe. And, you know, it's a great main event. Uh, number six, the draft night part two. Um, what more can you say? The draft as a whole has become a little hokey and a little crazy. And then you see people who have already been on that particular show staying on that show, you know, like Roman Reigns with SmackDown or Seth Rollins would roar. But I will say that a few key moves that were great, I enjoyed, uh, but a couple were very predictable, like Rhea Ripley moving from, uh, you know, uh, Raw from SmackDown to Raw with the SmackDown Women's Championship. Obviously, her and Bianca are going to switch titles and whatnot uh, once Raw starts up this Monday and whatnot. But the thing that I, I, I find a little troubling is Rhea Ripley being the number one draft pick. You've got a World Heavyweight title tournament starting soon, and you've got a lot of guys in this tournament, and yet Rhea Ripley, who is a great champion and one of my favorite women on the roster, but still, you put her as the number one pick, and Bianca Belair was the number two pick on night one. It's just, look, I'm not shitting on women's wrestling, but what I am saying is, is that when you're trying to make me believe that guys like Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens are main eventers. I want them to be the number one draft pick. Just me, though. Now, moving on to NXT, number one, Wesley versus Drew Gulak. Wow, what a 25-minute fight. Uh, Gulak was trying to stay to the ground and also use some MMA moves. Meanwhile, Wesley was all over the air trying to use his speed little bit of a distraction uh, from, uh, you know, uh, everybody on the outside. Wesley hits that cardiac kick. Unbelievable. Charlie Dempsey tried to help out his partner in Drew Gulak, but it just didn't happen at that point. 
Uh, number two, Gigi Dolan versus JC Jane. These two women, this is their second encounter. Storyline has been fire, and I like that they are giving these women time. Uh, seeing JC Jane and the night in covered in blood and Dolan just being completely knocked out. I love the way that they're booking these two women, and I hope that at the next pay-per-view for NXT, we get that final third rubber match to end the 1-1 draw that we're at right now. Number three, Dragon Lee versus J.D. McDow. McDow is moving on to Monday Night Raw, and this was his last outing in NXT. I wish him the absolute best on Raw. He was great in NXT and in NXT UK. Uh, Dragon Lee has been a breath of fresh air to NXT as well. And, uh, yeah, J.D. McDowell gets the win after an incredible-looking Spanish fly. And what a matchup. Unbelievable. And number four, Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis end NXT with Dexter picking up Indy and walking her out of the NXT arena. Uh, Indy will be moving on to WWE SmackDown thanks to the draft. Uh, Excuse me, no, WWE Raw. Sorry, had to look at my notes for a second. So she'll be going to Raw with Dexter and Johnny Gargano and Candice Michelle. Could the way be making a, a, a you know chance at possibly a comeback? You never know. Uh, Indy Hartwell had to relinquish the NXT women's title um, because of injury. Uh, she hurt her leg. So obviously she'll be out of action for a little while. But once she comes back, I can't wait to see what she brings to Monday Night Raw. And now on to MLW. And this was not a one-match week. No, no, no couple of matches on the show and a couple of happenings as well. Uh, number one, Alexander Hammerstone was back. He was taped up. He obviously hurt his quad uh, and uh, was limping around, but he still had a match with Mr. Thompson of the uh, Bumaye Fight Club. And, uh, yeah, this was a, a knockdown dragout fight. Hammer had some pain and really couldn't continue going on, but he managed to hit the Nightmare Pendulum and get the win. Uh, to send a message to uh, Alex Kane before their meeting for the uh, MLW World Heavyweight title. So obviously MLW is not uh, making him relinquish the title. He will be staying on and being a fighting champion despite injury. I don't know whether it's a work or a shoot, but whatever it is, I like that it's adding to the storyline a bit. Number two, the calling coming after Hammerstone after his matchup with Mr. Thomas and rolling with Jacob Fatu and his cousins uh the Samoan SWAT team man uh, the calling is really a great throwback to older demonic um stables and the fact that they've got Raven behind them it really adds to it MLW tapes in the 2300 arena in Philadelphia Raven was a part of making that arena famous in ECW. So in my opinion, who better than to be managing that group but Raven? And Jacob Fatu and uh, the Samoan SWAT team, big badasses, an all-out brawl. Thank God they came out because Hammerstone could have been badly injured even more. Um, and then number three, the Samoan SWAT team versus Black and Lion. I thought this was going to be a joke match because Black and Lion came out as this MC and uh a guy dressed up in a lion's costume. But no, Black and Lion actually did a fantastic job in the ring. They are a legit tag team. So, yeah, more power to them. But the Samoan SWAT team got the win after a nice big splash by Lance Anua. 
and the Samoa Squad team are still the MLW Tag Team Champions. Now moving on to AEW Dynamite, uh, and it's the um, eight-man tag opened up the show with Adam Cole, Roderick Strong making his in-ring debut, Orange Cassidy and Bandito taking on the Jericho Appreciation Society, dumbest name ever. Uh, yeah, this was Hager and 2.0 and Daniel Garcia taking on Cole, Strong, Cassidy, and Bandito. Uh, decent opener, 15-minute match. Jericho's at commentary. Strong gets the win for his team. Cole then jets from the ring, takes out Jericho, and he and Jericho fight to the backstage area. Uh, number two, Sheeta, Britt Baker, and Jamie Hayter taking out the outcast. This was fantastic, in my opinion. You don't hear me often praise Emma, uh, uh, AEW's women's division. But Sheeta makes her return and looks like she's joining the outcast, about to take out Willow Nightingale with the green spray paint. And then Hayter and Baker come up from out of the ring, uh, underneath the ring, sort of the way the outcast did with Jericho a couple weeks ago. Everybody gets laid to waste. Sheeta sprays uh, Soraya in the face with the green uh, spray paint. Beats them all down with the kendo stick, and Hater, Baker, and Sheeta are left standing. Great, great job. Number three, the House of Black's vignette, where they explain the new rules for these trios, tag team titles. I mean, this was just bizarre. The rules will be picked by the opponent. Uh, you, you have to uh, actually ask for your title shot and make yourself known to the House of Black in order to get the challenge, but yet there is an open challenge every week whenever somebody wants. It was just so bizarre, but also so great at the same time. Well done by ML by AEW. Excuse me. I keep going to call it MLW. Number four, the six-man uh, tag battle royal. This was just a bunch of six-man tag teams, trios teams, fighting in this big battle royal, but it was still good. I do love a good old-fashioned battle royal. And AEW seems to do that in tournaments as best as possible. Uh, it was won by the acclaimed and Billy Gunn. So I guess they'll be getting the next shot at the House of Black. Number five, Mark Briscoe, Jay Lethal, and Jeff Jarrett's farm vignette. Oh, God, I was laughing hysterical. They were doing their work. Jarrett's about to play uh, with my baby tonight on the porch. Out comes Papa Briscoe. He makes fun of all of them. And then he says, make sure you keep an eye on the one in the overalls. And Mark goes and says, Dad, which one? He goes, all of them. Very good comedy from AEW here. Number six, Ricky Starks and Juice Robinson going one-on-one. -on -one. Fantastic job by both these guys. 21 minutes of solid wrestling action. Quickness, speed going at 100 miles an hour. These guys were fantastic. And finally, the main event, number seven, Darby Allen and Jungle Boy taking on Sammy Guevara and MJF. Um, and the stipulation was if Allen and Jungle Boy get the win, they get added to the World Heavyweight title match, and it becomes a four-pillars fatal four-way. Um, Guevara and MJF breaking down and no longer being friends. Great job. And the dissension between Jungle Boy and Allen throughout the entire match, even coming down to the final pin, where Darby Allen almost hit a coffin drop on Jungle Boy, but took out Guevara, got the win for his team. And yes, now, the main event at AEW's next pay-per-view will be MJF defending the World Heavyweight title against Sammy Guevara, Jungle Boy, and Darby Allen in a four-pillars match. Unbelievable. 
great job by AEW this week, in my opinion. And then finally, SmackDown. It's the final SmackDown before we get to Backlash in Puerto Rico. They are in Puerto Rico, and here we go. Number one, the Good Brothers taking on the Viking Raiders. Four big bullish men in a tag team match teeing off on each other. Great, great matchup. Good Brothers get to win, and I am uh, very, very happy because you don't see a lot of that lately. Uh, there's always one speedy guy in the ring or one you know smaller guy doing flips like a Ricochet or a Chad Gable, and I'm not you know, shitting on that anyway, but I am saying it was great to see four big badasses just fighting it out. Number two, the Street Profits taking on Imperium. This was the exact opposite. It was four quick men, uh, uh, quick tag teams, making tags in and out, hitting moves from all over the ring at 100 miles an hour. Great job by all, and the Street Profits get the win in this one, but I like that Imperium still comes off looking like they have, uh, you know, a point to prove, and they are the team to beat. Uh, number three, Cody Rhodes promo after what Paul Heyman did on Monday Night Raw. Uh, Cody got his time on uh, SmackDown to talk about Brock Lesnar this week and mentioning that he wants Brock Lesnar to look in the mirror and see himself as the beast who got beaten. Cody has been delivering from the hard promos for at least the last three years, even dating back to his time in AEW and you can't deny the guy knows how to cut a good promo. His dad was Dusty Rhodes. Hard times, Daddy. Hard times. Uh, then we went to uh, Carrying Cross and Shinsuke Nakamura. I've been looking forward to this match for the last month. It sucks that it's just going to be one and done because Nakamura is moving to Monday Night Raw. But, wow, Cross looked like he had the match won on more than one occasion. But Nakamura kept coming back. Contrast the styles throughout the entire matchup. And then... Nakamura gets the win with the boom, uh, the Kinshasa, excuse me, I almost called it what it was called in Japan, which was the Bumaye. Uh, but yeah, Nakamura gets the win. It's moving to Monday Night Raw with some momentum. Number five, uh, Cameron Grimes and Baron Corbin's backstage encounter. Corbin pissed off that he's an, a free agent. Grimes being drafted to SmackDown. Corbin saying he's better than, than Grimes. And then Grimes basically calling Corbin out and They'll have a match next week, so we got something to look forward to. And finally, in the main event, number six, Rey Mysterio and Zelina Vega taking on Dominic and Rhea Ripley. Again, the mixed tag match highlighting Rhea and uh, Zelina going into their matchup in Puerto Rico at Backlash for the women's title. Rey and Dominic continuing their food. Uh, feud, excuse me, continuing their feud. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was just a great way to end out SmackDown. And to props to whoever in the comment section or that hits me up tells me, hey, what kind of food were Dominic and, and Ray eating? I, I know I messed up. I flipped my line. It happens. No big deal. So from the highlight reel to the low light reel, and we go ahead and look at from Monday Night Raw, Omos versus a jobber. Uh, you've got this guy set up to face Seth Rollins at Backlash. And the best you could do for him on Monday Night Raw is to fight a no-name guy who didn't even get a ring entrance, and he beats him in like 30 seconds. And I get it. We want to build up Omos to be this monster, but after the good outing he had against Brock at WrestleMania, and now he's set up to take on Seth at Backlash, maybe a uh, uh, you know a squash match with a jobber just isn't the right move at this point in time. Number two, Trick Williams promo on NXT. If you think I'm flubbing my lines right now on this episode, 
Trick Williams could not get anything out except for Mellow Trick style. Mellow Trick ring. Yeah, we're going to be Mellow Trick over and over and over again. And when he tried to say anything else, it just wasn't computing. He must have reiterated that he and Carmelo Hayes have known each other since birth 15 times. We get it, dude. You're friends. I understand. But damn. It was just an all-around bad promo. And even Braun Breaker coming out and, uh, you know, challenging Trick to a matchup couldn't save this. It was just bad all around. Number three from MLW. That's right. MLW makes the low-light list for the first time, ladies and gentlemen. And it's Becca's ring entrance. She is known as the international recording star. Man, she made me miss Jillian Hall. She couldn't sing for shit. She was annoying as fuck. And it was just bad. And I'm happy that her match was quick. I'm happy that she can actually wrestle. Because that means she doesn't have to quit her day job. And yeah, Becca's ring entrance was cringe. Number four, John Moxley's promo with the BCC on AEW. I'm I'm tired of John Moxley. I, I need John Moxley to go away for about two months out of any type of wrestling program. I don't need him on GCW. I don't need him in AEW. I don't need him on Dark. I don't need him on Elevation. And I certainly don't need him on Rampage or Dynamite. This guy just needs to go away, spend some time with his daughter and his wife, and be off of television for a little while. Because the constant bleeding and the constant promos about him, how he's a changed man, and he's a better man, and he's going to do it for his family, and he's going to do it because he's a real wrestler. And then you got Daniel Bryan saying the exact same thing. And you got Claudio and Wheeler standing behind them, looking like mannequins. With the Ring of Honor title, it's ridiculous. I'm tired of the BCC, and I'm tired of John Moxley. Number five, Wardlow versus the Jobber on AEW. I just said it about Omos, but I'll even reiterate it again, like I did last week about Wardlow. You've taken the mystique off. He's no, no longer this big powerhouse that you've got to build up like a monster anymore. Let him fight some real challengers. But no, you have him go out there, hit one clothesline and five power bombs, and then the match is over after a minute and 10 seconds. This is getting bad. Okay. Then you've got Christian and Luchasaurus coming out every week. This is now the third week that they've come out. And after Wardlow challenged Luchasaurus with the TMT title on the line, oh, no, no, no. It's not Luchasaurus's title match, it's Christian's. Who the hell wants to see Christian Cage challenge for the TNT title? I could see him challenging for the world title. I could see him challenging for the tag team titles with Luchasaurus, but not the TNT title. Definitely not to go against Wardlow, because what's it going to be? An eight-minute squash match where Wardlow hits five clotheslines and five power bombs? No. Please no. And finally, number six, Bianca Belair's promo with damage control from SmackDown. It seems like Bianca's feud with Damage Control has been going on since SummerSlam. And that means it's been a year. And that is a long-ass time for a feud that has gone nowhere but allow Bianca to beat all three of them to go. 
Bianca Belair is so white bread, it's not even funny. Bianca Belair is worse than John Cena. Now, I've told you before, I think John Cena is a great humanitarian. I love John Cena, the person, not the wrestler. But you know how I feel about John Cena, the wrestler. And especially back during the Ruthless Aggression days. Bianca Belair is worse than that. Because she does not sell anybody's moves. She is constantly on the offense. She can't sell an injury. She can't deliver a promo. And she botches every match. And this promo was hot garbage. And I can't, I'm, I'm kind of happy that she's getting moved to Friday night. Because maybe she won't be on the show every damn week. So, with the hostility out of the way of the low weight, let's move on to the backlash review. And I guess I have to be hostile again because we have our opening matchup, Bianca Belair versus Io Sky. Io Sky was more over in Puerto Rico than a majority of the talent that we saw on Sunday night at Backlash. Excuse me, Saturday night at Backlash. Um, yeah, she was being cheered like crazy. And Bianca was being booed. Bianca did not sell any of Io's moves. She was up within, I'd like to say, 15 to 20 seconds after every move Io delivered. She did barely sold an arm injury and even did a one-arm press slam that she then botched and almost took Eo's head off with. And then, then, she almost botched her finisher and got the win. This match was brutal. But it was also predictable because if you know the way a Bianca match goes, she's going to win. But thank God it was the opening match because after that, everything else was uphill. Omos versus Seth Rollins was actually very good. Seth Rollins made Omos look credible. He made him look like a badass giant. Omos delivered some great moves. It wasn't all just a power slam and a choke slam. He was actually holding Seth Rollins at bay. When he blocked the curb stomp, it was phenomenal. And to see that Seth had to go to the top rope and hit a super curb stomp was crazy. So good matchup, good outing by both. Um, number three, Austin Theory defending the United States Championship against Bobby Lashley and Bronson Reed. Decent. It was a standard triple threat match. Throw one guy out of the ring, two guys fight. One guy comes back in, throws the other guy out of the ring, two guys fight, and so on and so forth. A lot of pin breakups, a lot of finisher breakups, but they still all excelled, and they did a great job. Austin Theory retained, which I think is the right move because he should be the United States title champion for quite a while. Uh, Austin Theory, you know, as I said, retains. Good outing by all. Number five, four, Zelina Vega versus Rhea Ripley. Excellent. The entrances for both women, the crowd being behind both women, both women doing great moves. Zelina Vega. I know it was only an eight-minute match. People are saying that Zelina is not the best in the ring. Well, I got news for you. She looked like a luchador in that ring. She was flying around. Her head scissors was crisp. Her Hunakan Rana was crisp. She knew exactly what she was doing in that ring. Rhea Ripley, to her credit, was playing the part of the monster heel, not giving that much away to her opponent, fighting her off at every chance that she got. It was great to see. Zelina hit her finisher. 
wasn't enough to put Rhea down. Rhea finally got in the counter, hit the riptide, and Rhea Ripley remains the WWE now Raw Women's Champion because those cha- titles have now switched TV shows. Rhea Ripley is still the champion and a great outing by both women. Number five, and I know you people are going to probably go, what? He's crazy after all the shit he gave to this guy. But possibly my favorite match on the whole on the show was Damian Priest versus Bad Bunny. What an incredible matchup. It told a story like we haven't seen in a wrestling match in many, many years. You had Bad Bunny, who can has only been in the ring now two other times before. But doing moves that I don't see half the roster doing. And using a kendo stick and a trash can and a steel chair. Better than I've seen anybody on the roster do. Guy went to the top rope and hit a crazy looking splash. I got shades of Ricky Steamboat from it. And then you got Damian Priest. Who's being this chicken shit heel. And he's playing the part to the T. Despite being much bigger. And he's pie facing Bad Bunny down. Like he's a nerd. You know what I mean? Like he's just this little nerd that he could push away. But then you add in Judgment Day trying to get involved, which brings out Rey Mysterio, and it brings out uh, the rest of the LWO. And then during the match, it brings out Carlito and Savio Vega, two of Puerto Rico's finest sons, two men that people love all over the world, but also love in Puerto Rico. And the fans were on their feet for the entire matchup. And Bad Bunny got the win after a hard-fought 30-minute battle. That's right. This amateur, this multi-platinum recording star, went 30 minutes with Damian Priest and told one of the best stories I've ever seen. Bad Bunny, I may not like your music, but in my opinion, you are welcome back in the WWE any day. And it is a pleasure to watch you wrestle. So, yeah, I, I ate my words on that one. Number six, the Usos and Solo Sokoa taking on Matt Riddle, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn. Very boring. It was the same basic match that we've seen for the last few months. I love the bloodline, and I love what Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens was doing up to their lead-up to becoming the undisputed World Tag Team Champions. But... For the last month since WrestleMania, we've seen Zayn versus Solo Sokoa. We've seen Owens versus Jimmy Uso. We've seen Matt Riddle versus Solo. We've seen Zayn versus Jimmy. We've seen Jay versus Solo uh, versus uh, Riddle. And then we've seen tag matches. And then we've seen run-ins. And then we've seen backstage promos. And I get it. We're built to this match. But I hope that's the end of this feud now. And I hope that we can get to the bloodlines problems and actually start digging deeper into that storyline because this match was boring and predictable and it just went on like we've been seeing. I would have liked something new and fresh from all six men. The freshest thing we got was Solo Skull almost hitting the Samoan spike on his brother Jay, but it didn't happen. We'll see where that goes from there. And then finally, the main event, Brock Lesnar versus Cody Rhodes in a great main event. The fans were on their feet for everything 
that these two guys did in that ring. The fans were cheering both men. Brock Lesnar got busted open the hard way. And it was just fantastic booking all around uh, for this matchup. Cody got the win uh, cleanly, which was weird. But it's what needed to be done to finish the story. God damn it, because that's all I've been hearing since the Royal Rumble. <laughs> Cody Rhodes gets the win after being locked in a Kimura. And uh, yeah, Brock Lesnar is left in the ring, a bloody mess. And wondering what the hell just happened. Great pay-per-view, in my opinion. I give it a solid 8 out of 10. And, uh, yeah, that's the way a pay-per-view without a world heavyweight title match or a universal heavyweight title match uh, should be. Give us seven good matches. Help me not say that these are all bona fide Monday Night Raw or SmackDown matches. Help me say these deserve to be on pay-per-view. Because that's exactly what I said when Backlash ended. And finally, we go to our last bit of news, the list of competitors for the beginning of the World Heavyweight Title Tournament. Uh, it's a total of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 competitors from both Raw and SmackDown. And they're going to have a series of triple threat matches, leaving us with four competitors. And then at Night of Champions, those four will battle in two singles matches, with the winners facing off in the finals to crown a new World Heavyweight Champion. Now, before we get into this, I'd like to say that it's a little bit crazy that the WWE is allowing SmackDown stars to fight for a title that will only be uh, fought for on Monday Night Raw. But uh, someone brought up a good point. My friend Andy Kumar said maybe they're trying to get somebody that they accidentally drafted to SmackDown back on Monday Night Raw. Could be a good point. Uh, but yeah, this is going to happen over on Raw and SmackDown in the next couple of weeks until we get to United Champions in Saudi Arabia and we crown a new champion. And this is the list of competitors. We've got Seth Rollins, Shinsuke Nakamura, Sheamus, The Miz, Damian Priest, Edge, Rey Mysterio, Finn Balor, Bobby Lashley, AJ Styles, Austin Theories, the United States champion, and Cody Rhodes. Interesting that Theory is the only champion in this tournament. Also interesting that Bobby Lashley is in this tournament despite losing at Backlash. Also interesting is Edge being in this tournament considering he has not been seen in the last few weeks. Um, and Damian Priest who lost to Bad Bunny as well. Uh, but I will say this. I think that everybody who's in this tournament is a great uh, wrestler. They have a lot going for them, and I think that they all are deserving if they were to become the first World Heavyweight Champion to win the World Heavyweight title. Uh, I mean, think of what it would do for Finn Balor, who was the first Universal Heavyweight Champion and had to give the title up due to injury if he were to win this title. Think of what it would do to Seth Rollins, who's been trying to get back into the world title picture with Roman Reigns in camp. Or Shinsuke Nakamura, who even despite winning the Royal Rumble, did not become World Heavyweight Champion. Or Sheamus. Or The Miz, even. The Miz could add another accolade to his double Grand Slam, you know, uh, winnings. Uh, Damian Priest, a young star, a rookie, could possibly become champion. Bobby Lashley, a two-time World Heavyweight Champion. Austin Theories could become a double champion. And AJ Styles could add another World Heavyweight title to his repertoire as well. 
I find it odd that Drew McIntyre is not on this list, but Drew is still dealing with his contract negotiations, so maybe that's why he's not there. And the final person that I'm going to talk about here in regards to that list is Cody Rhodes. Um, Do I think that Cody Rhodes is deserving of this title? Well, that depends, because here's why. If you let Cody win this title immediately, then you are admitting that this is a consolation prize, and because he could not beat Roman Reigns, you had to make a World Heavyweight title to give to him. But the other side of the coin is, if you don't give it to Cody Rhodes, does it look like you're never going to allow him to win any World Heavyweight title? And could that bother his career? Possibly turn the fans against him and bringing him back and then ending up being a very bad move. All in all, I think that Cody should win it. Um, and then go on to feud with the likes of Finn Balor and, you know, Damian Priest and other superstars from Monday Night Raw. And become a dominant champion for at least six months. You know, we don't want another Roman Reigns ordeal where it's a constant, you know, oh, he's been champion for so long. You know what I mean? But I think that Cody should win it. But if it's not Cody, then honestly, truthfully, I hope it's Finn Balor. Because with everything that has happened with him in the Judgment Day, since they put him in this storyline, and him constantly losing to Edge, him constantly losing some pretty big matches. I think that a push to the World Heavyweight title would be the right move for him right now. And give him a couple, two, three-month title reign and see where it's going. And then you go from there. In any way, shape, or form, though, we're probably in for some good TV these next few weeks leading into Night of Champions. And maybe even further down the road after that with a new World Heavyweight Champion. I'm interested to see where it goes. So, I want to thank you guys for joining me. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show and say that uh, please continue to uh, listen to everything on the WrestleNet Radio uh, family playlist, such as the We Can't Wrestle podcast, The Slice of Time, The Year That Was, The Nothing But Trouble podcast with me and my buddies, and If You Smell What The Arch Is Cooking. You all have a great night, and I will see you next time on If You Smell What The Arch Is Cooking.